It's great to see you guys here. I'm Amanda, like Van said, and one of my roles here, I get the honor to coordinate when we have guest speakers coming. So we have had just a great time with Wendy and her team. Um, she has three other people that traveled with her. Two of them are students at Bethel, and then her assistant that works with her. So Ash and Talisa, Talitha and Shireen, it's been awesome to hang out with you guys as well. Thank you for pouring into us here. So if you've been here this weekend at all and heard Wendy speak, you've heard that joy and peace are something that she believes with her heart and mind and soul and spirit, that that's like where she is all the time. And that's what she's telling us. But from all of our experience with her, that's the way that she lives every day too. There's two things that have happened this weekend that I've really seen that come out. Um, before they even got here, they had a flight that went through Chicago and there was a huge snowstorm. So they missed their transferring, connecting flight to Cincinnati. So on Friday night, it was late at night, their flight got canceled, they're in the airport, and everyone's scrambling. The whole O'Hare airport shut down except one runway. So there are like hundreds and thousands of people there trying to get rental cars, trying to get hotels. And the whole time, Ash and Wendy were just like coasting and just knew like God's favor was with them. They got like the last rental car, they found the last hotel room. And as they're texting us, they're like, we're doing great. This is fine. We'll just wake up in the morning and drive. No big deal. Like we're going to get there. It's going to be awesome. Not phased by it at all. Then when they got here, um, their, one of their hotel rooms was canceled because they didn't show up. And one thing that I learned this weekend was that you should call the hotel if you're not going to show up so they don't cancel your room. And so when they got there, they were like, after driving five hours from Chicago, I would have been exhausted and wanting to hang out. They were like, oh, this is so fine. We're just chilling, hanging out in the hotel room. Nothing's wrong. So that deep conviction of just joy and peace was totally with them. And in, so everything that you hear her say tonight, everything that she does is really where she lives from. So um, just bless you guys so much. Thank you for being here. We honor you. We love you guys. And Wendy, we would love um, just to be wrecked one more time by everything that you have to share tonight. So would you guys stand and join me in welcoming up Wendy Backlund? Thank you, Jordan. Yeah, we had, you know, whenever you're going through stuff like that, you need a declaration handy. <laughs> so I had been telling Ash that one of my new declarations that I heard from Joel Osteen is, the odds are for me. So that was our phrase for the whole trip. It was like, the odds are we're going to get a car. The odds are for us that we're going to get a hotel. You know, so it was just amazing. I love having just a phrase that brings you back to peace. So Ash has a few things to share. I do. Oh, we're so excited you guys are here. Thank you so much for coming. Um, yeah, so my name is Ash. I'm Wendy's personal assistant. And I also get to play in the travel for both Steve and Wendy. So it's so exciting to get to be a part of these trips and sometimes get to come on them and see it all happen in the flesh. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to give you guys a couple quick announcements, some updates on our Igniting Hope world. Uh, Stephen Wendy's ministry is called Igniting Hope Ministries, and we have a website, just ignitinghopeministries.com. So you can find all the info. The travel itineraries are there if you want to stalk them. You can just <laughs> find out anything you need there. Um, we have some really cool events coming up. One of them is called the Negativity Fast, Positivity Feast, and that actually starts over Lent. So it's February 26th through April 9th. 
and our staff does it, our whole team does it, and we have a bunch of people who, you, who if you want, you can actually sign up for the emails and join us. And so you'll get emails from us with encouragement as we all intentionally step away from negativity over that time. It is crazy, some of the testimonies we get. Um, and then also we have in our conference coming up, it's our annual conference, the Abounding Hope and Joy Conference. And that is in April from the 25th to the 27th in Redding, California. So if you've ever been looking for a reason to visit Bethel, this is the reason. <laughs> we would love to have you there. It's a pretty wild time. Um, and you'll get to see Steve and Wendy together, which is the jackpot. Um, and then I also, we have a book table out front. Most of the books are gone. So if you want one, I would rush out because there's not very many left. Um, I also just spit everywhere, so that was cool. <laughs> it's the anointing up here. I feel it. <laughs> Um, so one of the books I was just wanted to highlight was Declarations. So this book is actually by her husband, Steve, which he's been here before, so you guys have heard him. Um, incredible. And this book really coincides with some of the things Wendy has been sharing about declarations. It's called Unlocking Your Future. And just to read the tagline on the back, nothing happens in the kingdom unless a declaration is made. So this book is really a game changer in teaching how powerful it is to put our words um, in faith with what we hear God is doing. And then we also have the Encounter CD. Um, this is a powerful, um, it's to music in the background of Wendy leading you through an encounter. Warning, do not use while driving, I would say. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'd love to give these away. Is there anyone in the audience named Kevin? Anyone named Kevin? Yes, Kevin. We would love to give these to you. Would you like to come up here? Everybody clap for Kevin. <laughs> awesome. You know, Kevin, it's so funny. On our way here, at every single airport we stopped at, there was someone named Kevin. It was over the PA system or the person who helped us. And I'm hearing over you, Kevin, that you are going to new levels in this season. <laughs> it was very highlighted. So thanks, guys, for joining. And if you have... Um if you have any questions or want to know more about Igniting Hope Ministries or more about our events, you can catch me at the end, and I'd be happy to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Great. So good. I know this is a prophetic culture, but I just thought I'd share a funny story. When I went to Weaverville, one of the lead prophetic people there, I thought she was a little bit strange because she thought that God was always talking. And... Um, I mean, she would find a dime on the ground and she'd go, oh, a dime, I wonder what God is saying. And I'd be thinking, he's saying you found a dime, you know? <laughs> and, um, but she was just crazy like that. And what I noticed is that God always talked to her when she expected it. And she and I used to go to the church sanctuary to pray in the middle of the night, a couple nights a week. And so we go, get to the church, and she goes, oh, I forgot the church secretary gave me a message for you. Some pastor in Chester called and wants to get to know you. And I'm like, I don't know any pastor in Chester, but okay. So I stuck it in my pocket. We pray, and I'm driving her home. And in the middle of Main Street at 2 a.m. is a ladder, one that extends. And I'm just going to swerve around it. She goes, no, stop, stop. We have to get this ladder. What is God saying? And, you know. <laughs> and it was too big for my car, so I take her home. She goes, gets her truck, and she picks up the ladder from Main Street and brings it home. The very next night, we're again praying in the middle of the night. 
2 a.m., I'm driving her home. Stop, stop, there's a phone book in the middle of Main Street. We have to stop and pick it up. And I'm like, okay, whatever. She gets out, she pulls it out, and she goes, ah, it's a phone book from Chester. Now, this town is three and a half hours away from where we live. I don't know why there's a phone book from Chester there. And all of a sudden, we both go, and I reach in my coat pocket, and I'm like, oh, I have a message from a pastor in Chester. And she goes, yes, and the latter represents that we're supposed to connect with this man. And so we ended up doing that, and eventually my daughter and son-in-law actually became their youth pastor, and we got really close with them. But I love the fact he'll talk to you as much as you expect him to. You know, Steve and I played a game when we were travel. We would fly into a region and then get a rental car and drive around. And we just started to believe God could talk through anything. So we'd be on our way to a church and we'd say, okay, God, talk to us through a billboard for the next prophetic word for this next church. And sure enough, a billboard would get highlighted. We'd share whatever we got off of the billboard. He's talking all the time. He's amazing. And sometimes I would think, I wonder how long ago he put that billboard up knowing somebody was going to drive by looking for a word. You know, he's already preparing. But anyway, that's nothing to do with my message. (laughs) Isn't God exciting? I love it. I used to, you know, I shared a little bit, I think in just the the second service, or maybe the first, uh, that when I first got saved, I, I was happy when I first got saved, but I really lost my joy just because of religion and performance. And, you know, if you're gonna base your joy on your performance, you're gonna be depressed. You know, let's just face it. And um, so I actually had to relearn how to be joyful. And I kind of thought, you know, well, I'm an intercessor. I I don't have to be joyful. (laughs) You know, we're supposed to be depressed, aren't we? Um, And uh, then I, I heard Bill Johnson preach once, and he said, you know, a lot of intercessors don't know the difference between the burden of the Lord and the burden of unbelief. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I would pray and be more depressed after the prayer meeting than when I went in. Where if we really believe in prayer, we should be the happiest people on the planet. So I I struggled with this whole joy thing. The joy broke out in the mid-90s. My husband and I went to Toronto, you know, just for the, the joy thing. I never got hit by laughter or anything. But I did come away with a value for joy. I really believe that that in the 90s when he poured out the joy of the Lord, I don't think it was just supposed to be, oh, let's have a fun decade, you know, and then move on. I think he was restoring the value of joy to the church. And now we have to steward it. 
Because I used to complain all the time that, God, I'm so tired all the time, or why do I get sick so often? And, and he said, well, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And laughter is like medicine. And I'm like, well, do you mean that literally, that joy brings strength? One of the things I noticed was that we don't make time for what we won't value. So I didn't make time for joy. It just seemed like an optional fruit of the spirit. <laughs> right? I mean, in the church I was raised in, it was, you know, you hear all these scriptures on, on love and righteousness and peace, and hardly ever did you hear a message on joy. So to me, it was like it was optional. But, you know, it's a fruit of the Spirit. What would we do if somebody said, well, I just don't have the personality to be loving? <laughs> it's like, that's not an option. <laughs> but the thing is, is if we don't value it, we won't search it out. We won't find how important it is. When I realized that literally my strength was tied to how often I allowed myself to experience joy and laughter, I, and I didn't have much strength, so I, I started guarding my joy. You know, because what, what happens is if you don't value joy, you'll sell it very cheaply. You'll sell your joy for the opportunity to get mad at the person who cuts you off in the freeway. And I used to get mad, and now it's like, you know, I don't have enough strength to get mad. <laughs> I'm just going to laugh. <laughs> and there's so many fun things as we research joy. And one of the things I really liked is that Obviously, you know, you've probably heard, you know, scientifically, joy and laughter, it's proven that it does aid in health. It actually will even numb pain. It releases certain chemicals. But one of the things I like about it is I read that, have you ever had your brain get, you know, like a broken record and it just gets stuck and you have the same thought over and over and you know you should stop, especially if you're trying to get to sleep. And what somebody said to you, or something you should have said to them, runs over and over, and it's like, this isn't going anywhere. Why do I keep doing this? I read that it, even fake laughter will jar your brain off the track. And then I did more research, and I found out that even fake laughter is healthy for you. Because I used to think, well, God, I, I, I'm into authenticity. I can't just fake laugh. <laughs> and I told them, when I laugh, it just feels fake. It sounds fake. And he said, it's not fake, it's rusty. <laughs> He said, it's been so long since you laughed out loud that it doesn't feel real to you anymore. Because I had actually, I, I'm kind of a contained, you know, I, I'm a 100% purebred introvert. <laughs> Other people have mixture. I'm pure introvert. 
which is why I don't really like standing up in front of people. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of self-contained. I never do anything wildly. Before I got saved, if I got drunk, I just got even more quiet. <laughs> okay, little known secrets. So, so I would laugh on the inside. You know, someone would tell a joke and I'd go, that's funny. And uh, finally God said, Wendy, there's no health benefits to laughing on the inside. And so for, it was probably almost a year, he said, Wendy, I'm going to take you through a year of the discipline of joy. I'm like, <sighs> and this is what he made me do. I would have devotions, and then he said, now go online and read jokes and laugh out loud. Because <laughs> I had to get used to the sound of my laughter again. And it was so freeing. It, it, the only thing I can describe it as, do you remember the first time in worship when you ever raised your hands? It, it felt fake. It felt weird. It felt like everybody in the room was looking at you. That's how it felt when I started laughing out loud. But do you remember the moment when you experienced freedom? You no longer were caring what people thought. You just raised your hands. You just danced. You didn't care what anybody was thinking about. And that's what happened with my laughter and my joy. When it came back, it was like, I don't care. I want joy. And it doesn't have to be being hit by, you know, Holy Spirit laughter. That's fun. But if we value joy, we'll make time for it. We will watch something funny. We will listen to jokes. We will allow ourselves to have fun, to ease the stress. It just does something for your body. You know, it, it, it's interesting that God actually, I think twice in the Old Testament, it refers to the oil of joy. And I find it interesting that that's what it calls it. Because what happens to a car when it runs out of oil? It burns out and seizes up. And in the 80s, do you know what the catchphrase was when pastors would resign from their church? I'm burnt out. Because they didn't make room for joy. so important. If you're not, you know, don't be condemned if you're depressed. Just make sure a couple times a day you fake laugh. <laughs> it's part of the medicine. It's getting to understand that we cannot make our whole life about the things that aren't going right. At some point, we have to think of something fun. We have to bring our, our mind to something else. And it actually begins to loosen things up. And I know it's hard. But you know, I have a close friend in Australia that, you know, she had a horrible um, childhood. 
but she would actually, she took this literally, and, and the more depressed she was, she would stand up and just start laughing. And she said every time she did it, the presence would come and the depression would lift. Now, every day it didn't last all day, but she was breaking out of a pattern. Joy isn't just, you know, because, I mean, we do enjoy seeing our children laugh, and God does enjoy seeing you laugh, but it's also a benefit for us that we have to value. Find something in God to be joyful about. So another thing that happened to me when we went to Toronto is I, I, we were pastoring a church. I was leading the intercessors group. And so back in those days, it was probably 96 or so that we went, they would break up and have these workshops. And so there was an intercessors workshop. And I went because I thought I was an intercessor. And Carol Arnott shares this vision that she had where a big giant angel came and handed her this huge sword of intercession. And she said it was so heavy she could barely lift it. And in the vision, God told her she was to pass it on to other intercessors. So there's about 50 of us in the workshop and she gets us in this big giant circle and she gets in the middle and she prophetically hands the sword to people. And so she would grab their hands and say, in the name of Jesus, I give you the sword of intercession that I received. And people were manifesting and some were like they were fighting, some were like they couldn't lift it. I mean, just, you know, it was weird back then. (laughs) So she gets to me and nothing happens. And I'm like the average person. When nothing happens, they immediately think, what's wrong with me? Is there something unique? Maybe I'm not an intercessor. I've been praying all these years, and I'm not an intercessor. (laughs) So, you know, I'm struggling. I, you know, we go back to our church, and of course I don't tell anybody the story of how I received nothing. And (laughs) three months later, this gentleman gets saved. It was so amazing, because he's he's a cowboy, he's kind of um, an alcoholic, and he lives, you know, Nevada's pretty wide open spaces, and our town was very, very isolated. You know, we tell people, the, the highway to our town was called Highway 50, and you'll see signs to this day on the highway that says the loneliest road in America. So we were 50 miles off of the loneliest road in America. And he was 50 miles off that, living on a ranch. And he starts having demonic stuff happening in his house, and he's freaking out and doesn't know what to do, has no clue where to go. He's, he's totally unchurched. I don't know that he's really heard the gospel. And in those days, you know those big old TV satellites that are outside that you hand crank? Yeah, a few people my age remember them. But you would go outside and you'd crank it and personally set it to the satellite you want. <laughs> 
where his satellite got stuck on the Christian broadcasting satellite. I love picturing that one. Oh, I can see God, you know, talking to the angels. That poor guy's having demonic problems. Just go fix his satellite. <laughs> so he watches TBN. He gets saved. He starts coming to our church, but he knows nothing. I mean, nothing. Never been to church in his whole life. And he's like 45. But I could tell he's very prophetic. It was a tip-off that he was having demonic stuff happening to him. So I invite him to our prophetic intercessors group. And I'm praying. A bunch of us are standing around. We're, we're laying hands on him and praying for him. And I hear God say, Wendy, give him the sword that you got in Toronto. <laughs> and I'm like... <clears throat> I was the only one who didn't get one, remember? <laughs> so I kind of argue in my head, and finally, you know, just to get him off my back, I, <laughs> come on, tell me you've done it. You know? <laughs> so I grab his hands, and I, I kind of just remember what Carol Arnott did, so I grab the hands like she did me, and I say, I feel like God's telling me to give you the sword of intercession that I received in Toronto. And as soon as I said that, he starts manifesting just like all the people in Toronto. Remember, he has no grid for this at all. So he doesn't know what's going on. But I'm like, that's weird. And then we get this prophetic guy who comes to our church and he's giving people prophetic words. And do you guys know who um, Typhoid Mary was? Back in the, I think it was late 1800s or something, Typhoid Mary was a carrier of the disease typhoid. And there was this huge outbreak. And the, the government was trying to figure out who was spreading the disease. And what they discovered was that Mary had no symptoms of typhoid, but she was a carrier. They finally narrowed it down. She's the only person that all these sick people have in common. So this prophetic guy comes to our church, and, you know, prophetic words are supposed to be encouraging. And this guy looks at me, and he goes, you're like typhoid Mary. <laughs> And I'm like, thanks. I, I knew who she was. And he said, no, no, it's good. You don't have any of the symptoms, but you're a carrier of the spirit. And I felt like God said, there's so many of my children who are sitting around in church, in the pew, waiting for proof that they have the spirit. They're carriers, but they don't have all the symptoms. Just because you've never broke out in holy laughter doesn't mean that you can't give other people holy laughter. We have to stop looking for, you know, the emotion to go along with it. I mean, some of my best sermons 
have been when I felt the worst. It's like, I don't feel anointed at all. We have to stop going by emotion and realize we are carriers. And the more faith you have in it, the more you'll release it. I remember I, I spent years, you know, looking at, at people who, who have strong anointings, whether in healing or evangelism or the prophetic, and I would pray and say, God, I just want to be used. I want that anointing. And finally one day God said, Wendy, it's not that hard to be anointed. And I'm like, it seems like it, because hardly anybody is. And he goes, no, it's simple. Even a handkerchief can do it. <laughs> Remember Acts 19? They would take the aprons and handkerchiefs that were just in the presence of anointed apostles. And these handkerchiefs were healing the sick and casting out demons. And I'm like, here I am, worried. Am I saying this prayer correctly? <laughs> and this handkerchief comes along. <laughs> Maybe we've made this too difficult. When I soak in the presence the worst thing you could do is strive to receive something. Striving and anxiety are kind of like static in the unseen realm. Have you ever noticed when you're trying to get an answer from God, the more anxious you are, the more you need to hear this answer, the less you hear. Because it creates something in the unseen realm. The best way to hear God is from a place of peace. That means you have to stop looking for the answer and start worshiping and reminding yourself how big the answer is. We have to enlarge the answer giver and diminish the problem. And then when you get into peace, it's like answers start coming. And that's the same with receiving. I remember when our, our oldest son, he's 40 now and he's you know, doing great, but when he was a teenager, he was making some really poor decisions. And as a mom, I was getting really uptight. I, you, know, you get to that point where I don't even know what to do anymore. You know, he, he was really rebellious, but he was the most re polite, rebellious son you've ever had. passive-aggressive. <clears throat> and um, so one night, I'm, you know, can't sleep. I'm pacing the floor. I'm praying for him. And I hadn't been able to sleep for a while. So I'm like, God, I just need some peace. I, I need peace. I can't handle this anxiety, what's going on. And I hear him go, I'd love to give you peace if you would just stop to receive it. See, I thought he would zap me with peace. In fact, most of the time when I would pray for things, I thought he would zap it. You want peace? Whoosh! And he said, no, you receive peace the same way you receive Jesus as Savior, by faith. 
even if you don't feel it, by faith you believe you're receiving it. I receive the substance of your peace. I like to compare it to how often do we go to a gas station? Our car tank tells us that there's not much gas left in our car. So we go to a gas station and we waste time holding this little pump thing. We hardly ever usually see any gas, but we do see dollar signs moving. <laughs> and by faith, we go pay for something we never saw. And then we come back a week later to do it all over again. <laughs> That's what basking in his presence does. Sometimes you don't feel anything, you don't hear anything. But by faith you believe, I can't be in his presence and not be unchanged. It's like being out in the sun it's going to give you a suntan. It's going to give you a sunburn. It will affect you. You won't always feel it. Sometimes you do, but you don't always until later. And that's what we need to do is by faith begin to receive of who he is. Allow him to to just saturate you. You know, it says to come boldly to his throne. We need to be there receiving by faith. What is it you need? Do you really understand the principles of the substance of his realm that are ours that we need to actively engage in receiving? whether it's answers, whether it's anointing. I talked in one of the services this morning about practicing peace. Because in the middle of chaos is not the time to learn how to find peace. You find peace in the moments when you're not in warfare, so that when you get into warfare, you know how to get there. Practice being light, allowing his light to be in you. Picture what that looks like in the unseen realm. Picture how people are going to respond if that was really you. You know, I used to think the enemy was so powerful. And uh, I mean, I, the books I read, the warfare books I read, they were all about. You know, you have to be careful because, you know, the devil can jump on you. Don't, you know, don't watch Smurfs and don't, um, whatever. Because <laughs> the enemy can jump on you and you can get a devil. So <laughs> one day I'm reading, you know, the, the scripture where it talks about the seven sons of Sceva and they go to the house of this man who's demon-possessed. And these seven men go into this demon-possessed man's house. And they go, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we command you to leave. And this one man beats up seven guys, strips them naked. I'm like, what are the other six doing? <laughs> you 
<laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel a little drunk in the spirit. I'm sorry. <laughs> So he beats him up, strips him naked, chases these seven guys out of the house. And I used to read that, and I would think, yeah, demon-possessed people are powerful. <laughs> and then I hear God say, if one man possessed of demons can do that, what can one man possessed by God do? I realize God doesn't live in you because he needs a home. <laughs> it's so deep. <laughs> Do you know why demons want to inhabit men? So they can manifest. Do you know why God wants to inhabit you? So he can manifest. But we're afraid of manifestations. The way I was raised, if anything supernatural happened, it had to be Satan, because God's not doing anything. <laughs> the problem is, is he's chosen to limit himself to his people. And if we don't let him manifest, and if we have a bunch of lies running around in our head that disqualify us from being used by God, you prevent him. God is locked up in unbelieving believers. What do we have to lose? I mean, I was so sure that I still wasn't worthy enough, that I still needed to reach some vague pinnacle of performance before God could use me. Until one day God said, Wendy, I don't have enough time for this. Can I use you now? <laughs> the way I am? He wants to use us now. You know, our problem is we think that if people are powerful in the spirit realm, that they should be in leadership. That means nothing. That's like saying, oh, you learned how to walk. We should make you president. I've heard stories about people who have been saved one day and they've healed people and cast out demons. And I heard that when I'd been saved for 15 years and I'm like, whoa, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, the only difference between a handkerchief and me is this. Oh, well, there's a few other differences. <laughs> My PA is totally embarrassed for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. 
One of my favorite quotes is by Albert Einstein. And he says, he's got a lot of quotes. Someday go online and read some of the stuff he says. I mean, people will ask him, you know, how do you get all these great ideas for inventions? Oh, they're just floating in the air, and I grab them. Do you need a good idea? <laughs> we tend to think, well, I'm just not smart enough for a good idea. Well, then grab one from the air. <laughs> so the quote I wanted to say today is, he said, I think that only daring speculation can lead us further, not the accumulation of facts. I think that only daring speculation can lead us further, not the accumulation of facts. The word imagination in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is yester, and it means conception or framework. Your imagination is the womb of faith. You build the framework for your faith in your imagination. Is it any wonder that the word of God is called a seed? And we plant it in our mind. And we need to build on it, meditate on it. Whatever you meditate Whatever you are intimate with in your mind, you will give birth to. If your imagination is on sin, if it's on a temptation, you'll probably give birth to it. That's just the way it is. The word of God, you know, we know if we see a, 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 like an apple seed or a flower seed, we don't need any faith at all to believe that within this little tiny seed is the potential of hundreds of trees, of plants. It's like, that's a miracle. This little seed could be a tree. Because it carries within itself the ability to perform what it's a seed for. Think about this. If the word of God is a seed, why don't we understand that when we speak the word of God, it actually carries within itself the potential to perform what it's sent to do? If we have an issue in our life, what if we began to just plant seeds of God's word into that area of our life? You're sick. You, you, you've been told you're going to die. Plant the seed of life. I will live and not die. The word of God says that I will live. That Jesus came that I would live. And you keep planting those seeds and you water it and you nourish it. 
And you don't have to do anything. The seed itself carries the power to perform something. Instead of talking about, you know, the negative stuff going on in your town, why don't we plant some seeds? What if we really believed Jesus when he said, my words are spirit and they are life? They carry something. This isn't just, you know, a theology. He means his word has life to it. To perform something. I mean, if that doesn't make you fall in love with the word of God, I don't know what would. We have what we need in the word. But we have to begin attaching faith, and we need to start planting it in the womb of our imagination. You know, when I make declarations, I used to just make them religiously. I would just, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm above and not beneath, and, you know, say them. Um, and when I caught hold of this understanding about our imagination being the womb, I decided before I ever start a new declaration, I'm going to spend time imagining what it will look like when it's true. It was amazing what happened. Then I could actually speak it with faith because I saw something. It's like, yeah, wow, that would be awesome. And I was able to say it with more authority, with more conviction, with more excitement. We have to take our imagination back from the enemy. It was created for faith. And I have people who, who, you know, come up to me after this message and they'll say things like, yeah, but what if I imagine something that's not true? I'm like, you've been doing that for 20 years and it never bothered you. <laughs> right? So many times I, you know... When my husband was late getting home from work, I, I imagined that he was in a car accident and he died. I, I never went into, oh, I was wrong. I, I was imagining something that wasn't true. Why is it okay to imagine negative things that aren't true, but it's, it's you know, sketchy to imagine something positive that's not true? Yeah, right. Ask the drunk lady on stage to say that again. <laughs> Why is it okay to imagine negative things that aren't true, but it's sketchy to imagine positive things that may not be true? At least you had more fun imagining positive things. They say 85% of what you worry about never happens. Aren't you embarrassed? <laughs> what a waste of energy. <laughs> because when you worry about negative things, it drains you of strength. 
when you imagine positive things, even if 85% of them never come true, you at least gain strength from it. And I know some of us are afraid to, you know, get our hopes up and imagine good things happening because what if they don't happen? And God told me, he said, Wendy, you can live a hopeless life and never be disappointed. Or you can live a hope-filled life with occasional disappointment. And I'm like, oh, when you put it that way, a hopeless life doesn't sound too appealing either. Because there's no motivation in hopelessness. It's like, really, why get up in the morning? Hope is our motivation for living. It's seeing something that, that can happen with God and, and God through us that motivates us to get up, to do something. What might he do? Dare to hope again. And if it doesn't come true, say, well, it was fun trying. Maybe next time. But the more hopeful you get, and this is from experience, both Steve and I, it's kind of like your experience will always catch up to your beliefs eventually. But the gap time is called faith. Your experience will always eventually catch up to what you believe. And the gap time is called faith. Every time God has wanted to take us from where we are to where he wants to get us, we've had to just declare it was true. We've had to renew our mind that we're not going to determine our future by our past. You know, like we used to continually say that um, every time we move forward in God, we get attacked by the devil. Sounded spiritual. You know, we even heard people say, you know, if the enemy's not attacking you, then you're not a threat. That sounds spiritual, too. The problem is, is we no longer wanted to advance in the kingdom. Because who wants to be open to attack? And finally, God says, why do you say that all the time? And we're like, because every time we move forward in you, we get attacked by the devil. And he goes, why do you talk more about the attack of the devil than my protection? And we realized the reason we were under so much attack was because we actually had more faith for attack than protection. Because we focused on it. It was the womb of our imagination. We would rehearse every attack that happened. We never rehearsed the protection. So we started saying, we're the protected ones. We're having an attacked experience, but we're the protected ones. Because we knew eventually our experience would catch up to our belief system. And now the weird thing is, is we hardly even notice attacks. I'm sure they're there, but it's like, you know, swatting away a fly. I mean, we have our little armor, you know, we have phrases that we use like, well, there's always a solution. 
We're going to be okay. Sometimes we have to have people point out to us that we're under attack. Oh, yeah. You know, lift up the shield of faith, which quenches some of the fiery darts. That'll ruin your theology right there. Steve has a phrase. He likes to talk about the undevourable Christian. And we're like, no, that, there's no such thing as an undevourable Christian. And I, I'm sorry, I don't know where these scriptures are because my husband's the Bible and I'm the spirit. And I can quote scripture at you, but I'm sorry, I don't know the addresses. <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't care. I, you know, I try because I know some of you out there are teachers. But there's a scripture somewhere in there that says the, that Satan is like a roaring lion looking to see whom he may devour. He's looking for the people he may, which means there's some people he may not. Are we there yet? No. But like Albert Einstein, we're dreaming of a day. We're dreaming of a day. We are not going to settle for what we currently have. Just because the experts, even the theologians say, this is what we can have as Christians. I'm like, I'm dreaming. Maybe this isn't all there is. <sighs> I hope there's other people out there like me. I got saved and, and I had all these possibilities and they were slowly taught out of me. And then I started thinking, is this all there is? I, I feel like there's something more. Revelation only comes to those who are dissatisfied with the ordinary. If you're willing to settle for ordinary Christianity, you're probably not going to get revelation. But if you're tired of the status quo, if you're tired of being a normal Christian, if you actually decide one day, I think I'm going to try walking on water and walking through walls and healing the sick and raising the dead, and I'm going to be okay with failure, but I'm dreaming of a day. And even if I don't break through in these areas in my lifetime, I am breaking through for the next generation. I'm giving them permission to go after an impossible lifestyle. I'm giving them permission to believe that perhaps Christians are not human. They're a whole new creation. It's scary. I've seen people on this journey and they totally go 
bonkers and all of a sudden they're believing in UFOs and you know I, I hear people going off in the deep end and I'm like oh god maybe I want to back off from this journey but I'm not a fear-based Christian and I've chosen to have people in my life that I'm accountable to I talk to them about the weird things that are happening that God's been putting on my heart and we talk about it and we go to the Lord and we never feel as though we know more than everybody else we're always submitting one to another but at the same time we're experimenting in the spirit what am I capable of Something deep inside of you has been telling you you're more than what you've been living. Let's go on the journey together. Let's find out. Let's dream together. When, before I started traveling too much, twice a, a month, I had what I called the experimental group. And it was just some students that would gather with me and, uh, twice a month, and we would just sit and wait on God. We would talk about the possibilities. I mean, the things that, because we were searching, it was like information started coming from different sources. We would start hearing weird stories. Um, one of the ladies in the group, they had gone down to Azusa Street and this conservative Christian from, I can't remember what background, but he was a professor at a Christian college. And he said, I'm looking, I, I'm doing a study on how worship from different um, religions affects the blood. And so he knew that these guys at Azusa Street were Christians. And he said, would you come into my studio in worship? And I don't know what kind of test he was doing. If he drew the blood or I can't remember now. It's been a while. But he had Buddhist worship. He had other people worship. And when he contacted them later, he said, I've never seen any other group's blood do what your blood did when you worshiped. You start hearing stuff like that. You start hearing about somebody who they had a dream that they were walking the streets of a certain city and in the dream they met some guy and led him to the Lord and they woke up and they thought, wow, that dream felt so real. And a few weeks later he's walking down the same street and that man comes up to him and says, hey buddy, good to see you again. And he goes, I've never met you before. No, two weeks ago you led me to the Lord. A pastor in Texas was checking out all the places where Mariah Woodworth Eder had ministered and held um, healing services. And so he goes to this um, auto body shop because he had learned that she had one time held some services there. 
and he walks up to the owner, and it was two brothers who owned the auto body shop. And he says, hey, do you know the background of this building you own? They're like, no, you know, what's special about this place? And he starts telling them about Mariah Woodworth Etter, and the brothers get this weird look on their face, and one brother goes, tell them what happened to you. And so the guy says, well, I had terminal cancer, and I was in the hospital uh, dying. There was no hope for me at all. And this woman, who looked like she came from the early 1900s, dressed in that kind of garb, walks into my room and says, be healed in the name of Jesus. And he said, I was instantly healed. And so the pastor had a picture of her in his pocket, and he pulls it out, and he goes, she looked like this? And goes, That's the lady. She'd been dead for a long time. She's known for her trances. My thing is, you know, there's no time or space for the spirit. My question is, in one of her trances, did she travel through time and heal somebody? Did she come back from the dead? I don't know. But I want to start taking off the limitations of my thinking. Religion wants to keep you entombed. We want to keep you safe. Don't think about anything that's supernatural. Don't think that you can do something, you know, that's never been done before. This is a new season. Pray. We have to know him. We have to know his voice. We have to have good people who know the word of God. I love that God had me marry someone who loves the word as much as my husband does. I feel safe. But he loves the fact that I've opened up the spirit of the word to him. I mean, it's been a perfect blending. You know, we tell people that before we actually started speaking together, one without the other would have killed you. Because you need both word and spirit. Anybody willing for some experimentation? You know, I love, Steve says that sometimes when we make declarations, we're just giving God something to work with. You make a declaration, it gives him something to work with. You stand before his presence, you're giving something to work with. You do a prophetic act, you've given him something to work with. You give him the pots of water. He didn't make wine out of thin air. They gave him something to work with. Can we give him something to work with tonight? Can we, you know, if my team and also your team, your prophetic people, your prayer team, why don't we just 
get comfortable. You can come to the front. We can have um, Vinny, if he's still here. Somebody on keyboard? How many people here love Vinny? Isn't he amazing? I forgot I had a prophetic word for him. Are you? Is he gone? If you see him, tell him when he was leading that first song tonight, I felt like God said, that is Clark Kent. And when he sings, he turns into Superman. You're so awesome. Did you hear what I said about you? Pardon? God told me that you are Clark Kent. You look so unassuming. And then when you begin to worship, you're like Superman. Shifting atmospheres. Blocking the enemy who's trying to attack people. I mean, you just carry something in your voice. And I felt like he said it's not just in your singing. You carry power. You carry power. Yeah. So let's do some worship. I mean, if you have to go home, I totally understand. But if there's any other experimenters out there who say, I want the more, whatever it is, God, I don't want to reenact our last great meeting. It's not about, oh, last great meeting, we all rolled on the floor and laughed. That gets old if God's not rolling on the floor with you. We're going to just go into his presence and give him something. So come up to the front. And what I thought we would do is the prayer servants, the prophetic people can go around and just lay hands on people. You know, sometimes when we, we can, you have an open heaven, but when someone joins with you, they increase the open heaven. They help you pierce the veil to break through. So the ministering team can go around and just lay hands on people, pray with them, prophesy over them. My team, if you have prophetic words or something you're sensing, um, Ash, Talitha, Shireen, we're just going to go after God. Let's give him something to work with. Get comfortable. If you want to stay in your seat and just close your eyes and focus on him. Can we sing, sing a song first?
focus on His glory. Just step boldly into the throne room. Begin to ask Him questions by faith. Just believe He's going to show you things tonight. Just by faith. Everybody, just in your mind, say, I'm going to receive something tonight. Focus. Let's magnify Him. Magnify Him. And then say, God, I give you permission to manifest through me. Remove the lids, the limitations. I break off all fear of the supernatural in people's hearts and minds in Jesus' name. And Father, we ask for safety. We ask for your presence of peace and safety. You said that if we ask for bread, you would not give us a stone. We're asking for the more. This is a new year. It's a new decade for the body of Christ. And we don't want the same old, same old. We want to carry you into every situation. We want to take up the authority and position that you've given us in Christ. There's angelic stuff happening right now. You might be feeling fire on your head, on your hands. A little bit of twitching. Angels are handing out stuff. They're touching people's heads, releasing things. This is what's going to make this year different than any year you've ever had. This is why you're going to have breakthrough this year, even though the last 10 years you were in bondage. But tonight we're pulling on the supernatural, the kingdom of heaven invading this part of our life. Yeah, I'm just hearing tonight, there's something about going deeper. There's something about seeing things we've never seen before. Hmm. Going somewhere we've never been before. There's a grace to go to the next step with the Lord. Hey. There's a grace to go to the next level. Hey. Hey. Shallow now. 
He's taking you deeper. Let him pull you in. Let him pull you in. Let him pull you in. Give into his arms. Give into his reach. He's taking you to another level. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's safe. He's safe. You can trust him. Yeah, I just release a permission right now in the room to go somewhere you've never been before. Maybe to go somewhere you've been told you're not allowed to go before. We rip the ceiling off in the name of Jesus. We break the ceiling. Go where you're meant to go. Go where the Father is calling you. You have permission. Go. Run. Go as fast as you can. Go as fast as you can. In Jesus' name, we release you to go. We need you to run. We need you to run. The gate's open. The gate's open. Go. Go, go, go. As fast as you can. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Run, 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 run. Yeah, I'm just hearing that there are people in the room, too, who you feel the Lord calling you to do something, to respond, whether it's to jump up and down or scream or dance or run around the room. There's actually an invitation for response tonight. There's an invitation for response tonight. Respond to the Father. There's freedom in the room. No one's paying attention to you. Just do it. Just go. Respond to the Father. There is a new freedom in the room tonight. This is for your family. This is for your heritage, for your legacy, for your city. This is not just one moment. This is a big moment. This is something that's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. It's what you've been asking for. It's what your family has been interceding for. It's what your city has been begging for and interceding for. This is the moment. This is the moment. There is a responsibility on your shoulders to respond to the Father. To respond to the Father. I give you permission. If you feel like you're supposed to dance, dance. Yeah, if you feel like you're supposed to sing, then sing. Run around the room. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the freedom in the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're not feeling anything and you're, you, you sense that you're striving too hard, just pretend to be a handkerchief. serious just be a handkerchief in his presence he said you can come to his presence by faith believe you're there and be a handkerchief rest we receive best in our rest you know there's a lot of movies that have been coming out that they're worldly movies but God's been speaking through them and one of the most prophetic movies that we've seen in, in, in a decade was the um, greatest showman. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. I'm gonna read the lyrics to one of the songs and it's two men talking, but it, I really feel like it's the Holy Spirit giving us an invitation. And he says, right here, right now, I put the offer out. I don't want to chase you down. I know you see it. You run with me and I can cut you free out of the drudgery and walls you keep in. So trade that typical for something colorful. And if it's crazy, live a little crazy. You can play it sensible, a king of conventional, or you can risk it all and see. Don't you want to get away from the same old part you got to play? Because I got what you need. So come with me and take the ride. I'll take you to the other side. 
Because you can do like you do or you can do like me. Stay in the cage or finally take the key. Suddenly you're free to fly. I'll take you to the other side. That whole song is a back and forth of the spirit drawing us from the conventional, from the everyday. So God, we give you ourselves. We give you our fear. I don't know about you, but I am so desperate that I'm gonna just do it afraid. Because I know that the presence of God is the only thing that's gonna put this world back on track. And we have to offer more than theology and good words. So just receive. He is here tonight just by faith. If you don't feel like you received anything, you may be like me. I thought I didn't receive that sword in Toronto. Just by faith. Say, I don't have to feel it. I'm taking it. I'm taking something home tonight. Let your spirit out. Give your spirit a voice. Arise and shine. Submit your brain to your spirit. Allow your spirit man to arise. It's bigger than your body. Do not let your human form encapsulate who you are.
shall reign. Yes, you shall reign. Yes, you shall reign. Yes, you shall reign.
father You're my good, good father Ah! Uh-huh. 